Welcome to Living Hope. I'm Pastor Tim. If you're wondering what in the world this slide is doing up here, there's a good reason for it. Because um, I wanted to ask you, how many parts do you think there are in the human body? If you had to say, um, depending upon how you look at it, some uh, people that study anatomy would say only five. They, they divide up the essential outward parts of the body as the head, the neck, the torso, the arms, and the legs. Of course, if you look internally, there's a lot more than that. We're, we're covered with skin, of course. And even on the outside, of course, there's more than that. There's eyes and ears and nose and mouth and arms and legs and ten fingers and ten toes, we hope. But, but of course, internally, there's a complex web of, of organs and bones and muscles, uh, 206 bones in a typical healthy adult. You got your skull, your jawbone, your ribs, your collarbone, your humerus, your hips, your femur, kneecap, tibia, fibula, right? All connected by another 360 joints in the human body. Then you've got your muscular system, about 650 different muscles, all connected by over 900 ligaments. You've got your nervous system, your brain, your spinal cord, thousands and thousands, countless of nerves in your body, your circulatory system, right? Your heart, your blood, your Blood vessels, arteries, veins, you've got your respiratory system, your trachea, your diaphragm, your lungs, your digestive system, esophagus, stomach, small and large intestines, liver, kidney, pancreas, your reproductive system. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about that this morning. We'll just skip that. Lymphatic system, over 600 lymph nodes, hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of parts to the human body. And each one of them is essential, right? Each one of them has a a crucial role and they all work together as one. I mean, right now I'm standing here breathing and talking and doing what I'm doing because all the parts of my body are somehow working in harmony, working in one, growing, functioning, thriving, enabling you to be who God created you to be. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? We take it for granted. It is amazing. But here's what's even more amazing. This complex human body made up of thousands of members all working together as one. Guess what? And you guys know where I'm going with this. This is a picture of the church, right? This is what we see as a picture of the church in Scripture. The universal church throughout the world, all people, in past, present, and future, all continents, all believers function together as the body of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Carrying out the witness of Jesus on earth. Jesus is no longer here, of course, but his followers function as his body, representing him, carrying out his mission on earth. And, and that, we can say that about the universal church, capital C, but in a, in a smaller way, each local church functions as the body of Christ. And so we're in this series talking about the church because we believe in the priority of the church, the necessity of the church, the beauty of the church, and the function of the church. We talked two weeks ago about the church as the bride of Christ. Another image we see in Scripture that the the church is precious and loved by Jesus. He gave himself up for his bride. He is purifying her for that wedding day when he returns. We saw last week how the church is the household of God. Operating together as a family, as a structure, siblings loving one another, serving together with leaders in an organization as the household of God. We've defined the church this way in our series. We said that a local church is an organized and committed family of Christians led by elders and deacons who regularly gather to worship Jesus Christ, sit under the teaching of God's word, practice baptism in the Lord's Supper, Love and serve one another and live out and proclaim the gospel as a light to the world. 
And I hope that you see we've been kind of filling in the last three weeks and we'll wrap up next week filling in this definition. That the church has a committed family. Elders and deacons loving and serving. Gathering regularly. Gathering together. Is, is it a crucial part of what it means to be the ecclesia, the ones called out of the world to gather together in the name of Jesus? Sitting under the teaching of God's Word. Practicing baptism in the Lord's Supper as we had the, the privilege of doing last week. Serving one another. Loving one another. Living out the gospel, proclaiming the gospel as a light to the world. So this morning we're going to look at this understanding of the church as it connects to this image of the church as the body of Christ. And we're going to see, first of all, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to see the body functioning as one. You can flip to 1 Corinthians if you have your Bibles with you. This letter of 1 Corinthians is written to a church with a bunch of different struggles, but one of the problems that the church has is disunity, right? Thankfully, the church has grown beyond that, and there's no longer disunity in, in the church. <laughs> so, right? Yeah. Some of you, some of you have seen that, maybe heard of that, right? Have experienced it. And, and I'm, I'm making a little joke, but, but it, it can be hurtful. It can be harmful. It can be difficult to experience disunity in the church. And that's what's going on in Corinth, because what's happening is that some people have certain spiritual gifts, And they consider themselves to be more valuable and they're trying to steal the spotlight. And chapter 12 there in 1 Corinthians opens with Paul giving instructions about spiritual gifts. Explaining how they are supposed to function in the church. And he'll use the analogy of the human body. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, every man, woman, and child that loves Jesus, that is committed to follow Him, has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit to serve and edify and build up the church. In verses 4 through 6, we're not going to read it, but there the scriptures outline a variety of gifts and ministries and activities, and it says that the same Spirit of God is the one that empowers each individual gift. And as a result, no gift is more valuable than any other. Now here in 1 Corinthians, there's nine gifts that are mentioned, but if you compare those with the two main other lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, we see 20 different gifts mentioned in the New Testament. We can break them down into five categories. There are service gifts mentioned in scripture, like helping, serving, mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of administration, proclamation gifts or or speaking gifts, teaching and exhortation and evangelism, leadership gifts, things like apostleship and, and leading and shepherding, prophetic gifts, the gift of wisdom and knowledge or prophecy, the ability to speak in, in other tongues or interpret those tongues, and then sign gifts, things like the ability to pray and, and, and to see the Lord work through miracles or healing and the ability to have supernatural faith, the ability to discern the devil and the Lord's work. And in verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So all these great diversity of gifts are all given by the same Spirit, given to you individually, To facilitate unity, to facilitate maturity in the context of the local church and in a broader scale, the universal church. Not to build up disunity or to build up pride because of who you think you are or what you think you've been given, but to to build up maturity. And that's what the church in Corinth is struggling with. So we're going to read, picking up in verse 12, and we're going to break this down a little bit this morning. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to help us, and then we will read the Word of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you have not left us alone. You've not left us alone without a witness. You've given us the word of God. 
your authority, your revelation to speak to us. You've given us your people, the church, to bear out and to testify to the word, to live out the gospel. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that fills our hearts, that fills this gathering of believers in a unique, unique way. And we pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would fill my words, that you would fill our ears, that the reading and unpacking of the word of God would speak to us, would change us, would transform us into a church, into a body of Christ that would live as Jesus for one another and for the world. Come now and speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God says, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen. Amen. I love analogies. I love this chapter. Chapter 12 says, think about the church like a human body. As I've already told you, the human body has many, many parts to it. But all the various members of the body still only make up one body. Right? And that's how it is in the body of Christ. That's how it should be in the body of Christ. Verse 13 says that every Christian was baptized into the body. At the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit baptizes you. That means immerses you with His presence. And all of us have been immersed into the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus. And it says there in verse 12 that regardless of your background, Jew and Greek, slave and free, rich and poor, we all drank this idea of, of we, we drink the sustenance of the Holy Spirit, bringing life to our very souls. And the waters of baptism unify all of us. The same thing was written in Galatians chapter 3. Look at this verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, your water baptism and the six people that were baptized in the pool last week symbolize their baptism with the Holy Spirit, that they have crossed from, from death into life. They have died with Jesus. They have raised with Jesus. And as we've all drunk of one Holy Spirit, we have put on Christ. And now there's unity in the body of Christ. There's a diverse unity. And, and the, the, the diversity and the unity of the early church was one of the key factors that caused its explosion. 
And you can look at how did a ragtag group of peasants end up transforming the Mediterranean world. One of the reasons was, was the unity that they had amidst their diversity. It was nothing that the ancient world had ever seen. See, the ancient world was very tribal. People gathered in groups according to family line or nationality. People would associate according to ethnicity or your class or your religion. But something was happening in Christianity that they had never seen before. You, you had Jews and Gentiles all serving and loving and living together. You had rich and poor. Distinctions of classes gathering together in the church. You had nobles and common people all calling themselves Christians. You had Asians and Africans and Romans all gathered together in one body. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 11, it describes the church in a city called Antioch, and that's what was happening. In Antioch, there was this diverse community of race and gender and class, and and the watching world was confused. They saw the people gathered together in Antioch, and they didn't know what to make of it. They didn't know what to call them. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to refer to them. And it says that in Antioch, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Because they said, "What? Well, I, I don't. I mean, they're they're not clearly not a Jewish gathering. It's not a it's not a rich gathering. It's not a male gathering. It's not a Roman gathering. We don't know what it is. I guess we'll just call them Christians." And the world gave them the title Christians because it was the only thing they could figure out to define why they were associated together. Friends, unity in the church doesn't mean uniformity. Unity in Christ is in the midst of diversity. And sometimes we think we want our local church to be people that look like us, dress like us, act like us, listen to music like us, think theologically like us, think politically like us. That's not the the vision of the local church. In the book Rediscover Church that we've been using to to guide us a little bit in our series, they they say this. There's a, a few copies of this left, I believe, on the back table. I think I saw three back there. So You can act like you need to blow your nose and get up and go grab one of the last three if you'd like. They say this, the body of Christ is a fellowship of different. We are not alike and we need each other. We have not been gifted the same way and that's how God intended it for our good. We confess the same beliefs in Jesus Christ, but we enjoy a diversity of experiences. This is God's vision for the church that we must rediscover. The call here in 2022, what I believe we are at least coming close to post-pandemic world, is rediscovering the church, rediscovering the essence of the church. And that that is a beautiful, diverse unity. I met a pastor a few weeks ago when I was out at that pastor's cohort, and and he was a Japanese immigrant, grew up in North Carolina. His father was transferred to the States when he was about six, ended up leaving his Japanese company, starting his own business. And so my new friend, Pastor Kenji, grew up in North Carolina. And so he says he likes both green tea and sweet tea. He's got this dual identity, right? And he didn't grow up in the church, but he came to Christ as a teenager through a basketball ministry and was on fire for Jesus. Ended up meeting and falling in love with a woman who was a German immigrant. So now you have this Japanese immigrant and this German immigrant living together. They now live in Fairfax. And he told a story about how one day he's driving in his car and he looked in the rearview mirror at his daughter, who is a Japanese German American. Okay. I don't know how many there are of those, but he was driving her and some of her friends somewhere. And he looks back and he sees a woman, a, a girl 
that's of Asian descent and another girl of Middle Eastern descent and another girl of African descent. And he's thinking to himself as he's praying, feeling called to ministry, feeling called to pastor God, how are we going to reach the people in Fairfax, Virginia, that is as diverse as you can get in his community? And so through prayer and through encouragement and other leaders coming around him, they planted a church in Fairfax six years ago called All People's Community Church. And they now have a church that reflects the community where they live, a diverse community. And I hope and pray that Living Hope is a place where there can be diversity. Now, I think, sadly, unfortunately, we don't have the ethnic diversity that they may have in sections of Fairfax, Virginia, but we can certainly have a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of perspectives, a diversity of spiritual gifts and ethnicity and age, a diversity of economics. And I hope and pray that our diversity accentuates who Christ is and what he's doing, that our diversity would accentuate our unity in Jesus, not be a source of disunity. Because, brothers and sisters, we have far more in common than we have that we don't agree upon. And yes, Jesus is no longer on earth in the flesh, but when the church operates in unity by his Holy Spirit, we represent Jesus to the world. In fact, you could say, in fact, we will say that we are the body of Christ on earth reflecting him. That's what we see in verses 12 and 13. Now in 14, they say, okay, now think again about the human body. Again, the body doesn't consist of only one member or one part, but it has many parts that are all functioning together as one. And so we get this silly kind of little illustration in verse 15. It would be ridiculous for a foot to complain. Okay, so imagine that a foot has a little mouth and the foot says, well, I'm only a foot. I'm not a hand. I mean, I can't grab stuff and, you know, do important things. I really don't belong to the body. Now, if the foot had a little mouth and could say that, that wouldn't then make the foot any less a part of the body, would it? You think about the ear, same thing. If the ear started complaining, well, I'm, I'm not an eye and I wish I could see stuff, that's more critical, doesn't make the ear any less crucial to a part of the body, right? Now, you, you notice that the appendix is not used here in this analogy, because the appendix is the exception that proves the rule, right? It's the one part of the body that apparently we don't need, but everything else we do need is essential. So no matter who you are, teens that are here this morning, no matter how young you are, no matter how inexperienced you may be, no matter how insignificant some of you walked in here thinking you were or feeling, you are an essential part of the body of Christ. We need you just as the body needs every part. In fact, it's a wonderful thing that the body of Christ is comprised of so many diverse and unique different parts, all of them necessary to function. And so verse 17 says, okay, imagine this. Imagine if every part of the body was an eye. Well, that would be no good. We wouldn't be able to hear anything. What if, what if the, the human body was only made up of a bunch of ears? Well, that wouldn't be any good. We wouldn't be able to smell anything. Now, of course, that's ridiculous, right? Verse 19 says, if all parts of our body were the same, that wouldn't be a healthy functioning body. What would it be? It would just be a disgusting pile of ears. Okay, that wouldn't be good for anything. Nor would it be good for anything if all of us were the same. If all of us had the same backgrounds, the same convictions, the same distinctions, the same perspective, the same race and ethnicity and background. Now, yes, we all have the same belief in Christ and hope in Christ. But it's the diversity of parts that make a body function appropriately as a body. 
So for example, I'm grateful for the people that serve on the worship team. Like when, when the Lord called me into pastoring, I had to, had to pray for, for God to raise up other people because it's, it's the one thing that I literally cannot do at all. I mean, there's lots of things I can't do well, count money and, and play an instrument, right? The two at the top. So the Lord gave me my wonderful wife and the Lord gave us an amazing worship team. But imagine if every single one of us in here were musicians and we all could play like exceptionally and we all loved to sing and we were pitch perfect and we all wanted to be on the, on the worship team. Can you imagine all of us trying to cram up here on this 15 by 30 foot stage singing out to a bunch of empty seats? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Thank God for the people that have the gift of, of leading us in worship, but thank God that it's not all of us, right? We're all different. And that means we can function together. Verse 18 says that God has arranged each one of our body parts with a unique role, a unique place in the body, just as He wanted to work and to function according to His design. And so as we understand this vision of the church, the body of Christ, we see how it functions as one. And we can value and appreciate the contribution that each of us make. And it's going to be different. And some of you may look at, at somebody else's contribution and think it's small or weak, but I, I promise you it is essential. Again, in 20 and 21, we get this little analogy of, of how there's many parts but one body. And let's say the eye looks down at the hand. He should not say, well, I don't need the hand, right? I don't need you. No more than the head can look down at the foot and think, well, foot, if you're going to act like that and trip and things like that, well, then I don't need you, right? And we get this picture of the body, the body parts bickering with one another, bickering about, about who's more important and who needs who more. And verse 22 says, no, that's absurd. Every part of the body is needed. In fact, the scriptures go on to say, the parts of the body that seem weaker are actually indispensable. Those parts of the body that seem less honorable, we actually should treat with special honor, it says in verse 23 and 24. It says our unpresentable parts, that's talking about the private parts, okay? The Bible's saying your unpresentable parts, you actually treat with greater respect. You cover them up, right? We cover up and protect our, our most vulnerable, most most susceptible to injury, those parts that are, need to be treated with most respect, with most modesty. We protect them. We give them special attention as we should do in the body of Christ. The quote-unquote weaker parts, the quote-unquote less honorable parts, we treat with greater honor, with greater respect. I mean, think about it for a minute. Again, think about the physical body. If you right now have to decide, you have 10 seconds to decide what part of the body are you going to do without. And no fair picking the appendix. I'm taking that off the table. You have to pick one part of your body to be disconnected from your body. What do you pick? What do you, seriously, what do you pick? The toenail, the gallbladder. Anybody, I'm, I'm picking little toe, right? Yes, a couple of people. Little toe. I mean, what is the point of it? Well, apparently... It has a value, right? It helps with balance. It helps with your gait. The people that somehow lose their little toe in an injury have to relearn how to walk, relearn how to run. The parts that seem to have no value, that seem less honorable, are actually treated with greater respect and honor. And if you've ever stubbed your little toe in the middle of the night, you know that, right? We have to protect those parts that seem small. Friends, how do we view one another in the church? 
Do you see some people as more important or less important? Do you subconsciously maybe elevate certain spiritual gifts or certain roles in the church? I mean, the worship leader, would you like to show up to church on a Sunday without somebody to lead worship? That seems like a pretty important job. How about the the person that teaches? How about the leader of the youth ministry or your life group that's super dynamic? And you know, man, if that leader wasn't there, you're not sure what would happen in the ministry. Or maybe you tend to devalue other people in their roles in the church community. Maybe there are some that you feel like, well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're here, okay, but they don't have a lot of value. I mean, they're, they're less honorable. I mean, you know, the nursery workers, yeah, they hold babies, but like, okay, couldn't anybody do that? How about the young people? I mean, they're inexperienced. What do they have to offer? They don't have the maturity. They can't teach a class. They can't lead a song. They can't oversee a ministry. What about the older people? I mean, yeah, maybe when they were in their prime, but I mean, you know, once you reach a certain age, you're sort of past your prime. What do you have to contribute? Do we consciously or subconsciously tend to devalue or diminish people in the church based upon our assessment of their value? Not recognizing this beautiful picture that Scripture is giving us. What about you? What is your gift? What is your role in the church? Do you know how the Holy Spirit has gifted and called you to serve in the body of Christ? Yes, the body of Christ, big picture, but but here in this body of Christ or wherever church is your home church. Maybe you have a gift of, of serving, helping others. Maybe you have a gift of, of, of speaking and teaching, or maybe you have a gift of leadership. Maybe it's, it's leading on a small level. Maybe you lead an accountability group of four people. That's a gift of leadership. Maybe you have a prophetic gift to listen to the Lord and speak words of knowledge or insight into other people. Maybe you have a sign gift and you pray and the Lord heals, or, 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 or someone speaks and you can discern whether it's a, the voice of the enemy or the voice of the Lord. How has God uniquely crafted and called and gifted you to serve in the body of Christ? In our congregation, in your life group, in your youth ministry, in your accountability group, in your women's team. The gifts that you have been given. Listen, the gifts that you have been given. God doesn't have like a big salt shaker just sprinkling stuff out. Whatever falls on you, you get. No, it's been individually distributed and given to you, crafted for you, for your personality and your background to fit with who you are according to the will of the Holy Spirit. And you make a special contribution, listen, that nobody else here can make. You may say, well, come on, Tim. I mean, you've been to seminary, you know, your full-time staff, you've got 40, 50 hours a week. Like, there's things that you can do that I cannot do. Verses 24 and 25 says that God has intentionally, intentionally put us together. He's designed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Why? So that there would be no division in the body of Christ. That all the different members would love one another, care for one another, have the same concern for one another. If we were all the same, I wouldn't have to care about you. Right? But the fact that we're all different means that we all deserve special attention and special love and unique appreciation and value. For there's some of us that slip into puffing ourselves up or some of us that slip into the opposite. We tear ourselves down. And I've heard people say in the past... And maybe they're serving in mercy or in hospitality or they're, they're, they're showing up early and helping behind the scenes. And I've heard people belittle themselves and say, oh, well, that's not a big deal. It's just what I do. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I made that meal. I dropped it off. Well, of course, I, I prayed for that person in the middle of the night. I mean, yeah, I showed up early and, and, and I cleaned up. I mean, that, that's just what you do. Guess what? It's not what a lot of people do. It seems natural and, and, and necessary to you because that's how God's wired you. But those small unseen tasks 
are necessary. And, and everybody doesn't just do them. It doesn't just, it's not just what you do. It's how you're gifted and wired. You're not honoring God and you're not blessing anybody by demeaning yourself. Accept who you are and how God has wired you. And be confident in that. Other people fall into the opposite temptation. You may tend to puff yourself up. And you think to yourself, well, no one else can do what I did. No one can lead that meeting. No one can teach that Bible study. No one can organize that event the way that I did. And some would puff ourselves up. Well, guess what? No matter how amazing the hand is, it is nothing, literally nothing without a wrist, right? I mean, the hand is going to accomplish nothing without the wrist. And so no matter how profound you see the Lord using you in ministry, and, and it's, it's okay to see God use you in ministry, but no matter how amazing God is working in and through you, don't ever forget that we need each other. And even the heart would be nothing without the veins. Even the brain would be nothing without the spinal cord. We need each other. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12. Look at this scripture. He says, for by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each one according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let's not devalue ourselves. Let's not devalue anyone else. Let's not puff ourselves up. Let's not puff up anyone else. Because I assure you, if the Lord takes me tomorrow, Living Hope Church will go on without a beat. Without skipping a beat. The body of Christ serves and works together in unity. And what is the result of this unity? What does it say in verse 26? The result of this unity is a level of care and concern and investment in one another that is unparalleled anywhere else outside of the church. It says in verse 26 that if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, we rejoice together. And when someone faces sickness, when someone loses a spouse, when someone's children are struggling desperately in crisis, the body of Christ should hurt with them. And I remember driving up to Hershey Medical Center when Sebastian Bottomley had some little virus and all of a sudden he woke up and his legs stopped working. I remember going into the, the room praying with the Bottomleys, playing with, with Jared and Krista. And I remember the word going out. And I remember month after month after month when Sebastian's paralysis wasn't going away and wasn't healed. And hours and hours and weeks and, and, and now years of physical therapy as they've moved to another state to seek more intense treatment. Anybody remember hearing that? Anybody remember feeling it? Anybody remember hurting with those parents? The body of Christ. If we truly are connected, then when one of us hurts, we all hurt. But the other is true as well. When one of us is blessed, we all rejoice. And you may be struggling with infertility, but when somebody in, in the church family has a baby, can you rejoice with them? You may have just lost your job, but when you hear about a brother or a sister that got a promotion, can you rejoice with them? You may hear about somebody getting engaged, which is happening a lot recently. I've lost count of how many of our young people have gotten engaged. Praise God. And yet you find yourself in singleness, struggling, yearning for a partner. Can you rejoice when a member of the body of Christ is blessed. 
Verse 27 says that you are the body of Christ and individually members of that body. Functioning as one. This beautiful picture of what the church is intended to be. Now we've got to grow there. We've got to get there. No church starts out this way. Even the, the universal church is growing and maturing into it. But what is the goal? What is the end point of this picture? This unified connection? Is it just so we can all be happy? And we can, we can sort of have a, a joyful experience while we wait for Jesus to return? No. The church functions as one body so that we can grow into maturity. We're going to look now a little more briefly at Ephesians chapter 4. I want to wrap up this image of the body of Christ. And there's a different em- emphasis in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, it starts out with this, this idea that Jesus is the head over all things to the church, the body. And the emphasis in Ephesians chapter 4 is not on the body of Christ as an individual collection of parts. It's a little bit of a different analogy. The, the emphasis here is on the church as a body and Jesus as our head. So in Corinthians, they were struggling with unity, and so the image of the body of Christ is all these parts working together. In Ephesians, the picture is all the body submitted to the head, to Jesus himself. The head being the focal point, the intellect leading and controlling the rest of the body. And so chapter 4 of Ephesians opens with the emphasis on the unity of the Spirit in the body of peace. It says there that there is one body and one spirit. And Ephesians 4 goes on to talk about Jesus coming and again giving gifts. Because the idea of us each having a gift and a role and a contribution is, is essential to this image of the body of Christ. It says that Jesus has distributed gifts to each of his followers. Pick up with me in, in Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 11. It says this. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love Starts off there talking about Jesus giving these five leadership roles, these five leadership gifts to the church. It says apostles, apostles we can call pioneers expanding the church. Now in the New Testament, we need to be careful here. There's two distinct types of apostle. There's small a and capital A apostle, right? The original capital A apostles walked with Jesus, witnessed the resurrection. They spread the gospel and they founded the universal church and there are no more capital A apostles in the church but in an analogous way we can see that the leadership ministry of, of small a apostolic leaders they serve the ongoing church by pioneering new ministries planting churches mentoring pastors talks there about the the gift of of prophets prophets are motivators that exhort the church to live in faithfulness Now the scriptures are the only full and complete and final, sufficient, authoritative revelation from God. And so there are no new universal revelations from prophets. 
But prophetic leaders hear from God. They bring biblical exhortation and encouragement into specific people in specific situations. Evangelists are leaders. They're harvesters that reach the lost. They lead the charge in sharing the gospel with non-believers and training and encouraging us to do the same. Shepherds, it's just another word for pastor. Shepherds are caregivers that nurture the church into health. These are leaders with a shepherd's heart to feed and nurture and care for sheep in the church. Finally, we fifthly, we, we read their teachers. These are instructors that, that are maturing the church in biblical truth. And they proclaim the word of God and instruct in the word of God, bringing practical application into our lives. And I believe that as as elders, each elder should have a a proficiency and a gifting in at least one of these areas. But elders are not the only one to serve with these gifts and leadership roles. Others as well can, can serve and lead the church in this way. But what is the point? You see the point in verse 12 of these leadership positions? is to equip the rest of the saints. Saints is a, is a word for the holy ones, the people that have been made pure by Jesus. Their role is to equip the saints for their work in the ministry so that ultimately the body of Christ would be built up. And so even these key crucial leaders in the church are pouring into and ministering to others so that we as a community can be built up into the body of Christ. Verse 13 goes on to say that ministry leaders and the saints grow and build up the body of Christ to reach unity, unity in the faith, in this full, perfect knowledge of the Son of God. Now to know the Son of God, to know Jesus means we know Him personally and intimately, relationally, as a Savior, as a friend, but it also means we know about Him, we know who He is, we know the truth of God's Word, and true knowledge, and what Jesus taught. And so the body of Christ grows, what does verse 13 say? It grows into mature manhood. If we are to grow as the body of Christ, we are growing and maturing into full stature, it says, to measure up to our head. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. Christ Himself. And so I, I don't know. If, you know, maybe, maybe God has this like heavenly little growth chart. Anybody have a growth chart in your house? You know, and you mark the kids when they were little toddlers and slowly we have one on our, on our wall and, and the, the kids love it. When they're little, they love you know, every month they're like, okay, you know, you, you grew like a half a millimeter, but we'll mark it if you're excited. Right? Kids can't grow up fast enough. Parents always want them to slow down. You know, both of my, my sons are now taller than me. I wish it had never happened, but they've grown. They're growing up into mature manhood. Now imagine if one of your sons, as he's growing, has this full grown head. I mean, like a man's head, right? Like a Zach Fenstermacher beard. Puffy eyebrows, a big Adam's apple, but imagine that full-grown man's head stuck on a toddler's body. It's kind of weirding some people out right now, right? But Ephesians says that's what we're trying to avoid in the church. Jesus, our head, full maturity, the very Son of God. Now the church needs to grow up into maturity, to reach up into full stature, to match the head of the body, Jesus. And so verse 14 says that the body of Christ grows into maturity... That means we no longer act like children. How do, how do children act? Well, you take a, a seven-year-old and you put him with a baseball glove in an outfield. You put just one dandelion or one butterfly, and what happens to that kid? He is not paying attention to that baseball game in the slightest, right? And so verse 14 says, we, we, the church, can be tossed around by doctrine if we are like children. 
We're going to follow every new trendy idea, every new clever idea that may be cased in the, in the, in the outward image of Christianity, and we're going to follow those things. But verse 15 says, no, no, we need to speak biblical truth to one another in love, to keep one another focused, not following after every wind of doctrine. Why? So that we can grow into maturity. Because we don't want to be an underdeveloped eight-year-old with a man's head. And so we speak the truth to one another. We know the word of God. We know the truth of the gospel. And we speak to one another. And sometimes that means hard truths. We talked last week about accountability, about encouragement, about speaking hard truths into one another's lives. But what does it say? It says it's done in love. We speak the truth in love. Because as men and women that have received the love of our Father, every thought, every word, every deed should now be infused with His love towards others. And so we grow together. From Christ our head, the whole body grows. Verse 16 says that every part of the body is joined together in Christ and held together by every joint of the body. Every part is working together properly only when we're growing together, only when we're functioning in unity, each part working properly. Then and only then can the body grow up and build itself up in love, reaching into maturity in Christ. Now look, this passage here in Ephesians chapter 4 is not about you. It's not about your individual Christian life. It's not about your individual spirituality. Now look, I can point to a dozen other passages in the New Testament that talk about your individual call to grow, to mature, to be faithful, to be, to be disciplined, to live out your Christian life. And we, and we should grow in Christ. We should grow individually. But this image is a corporate image. It's a collective picture of the church. Yes, the church globally and here at Living Hope, the church locally growing together, serving together, loving together as the body of Christ. And so we say that Christianity is a team sport. We're not playing tennis. Friends, we're playing football together. It's the only way we'll ever reach our full maturity in Christ. Now, you you can say what you want about, about the NFL or about football. You may have your favorite sport, but I think football is the true team sport, right? I mean, you put a, you put a great, a phenomenal pitcher on a pitcher's mound. He can carry his entire baseball team. Right? You put one point guard on the basketball court that cannot be stopped, and, and he can lead the rest of his team to victory. But I don't care how good of a quarterback you have. He is only as good as, as his offensive line. He is only as good as his receivers, right? Football is a true team sport. I was thinking about the, that movie. I guess now it's an old movie. Remember the Titans. You guys know that movie? It's about the 1971 Virginia high school football team. The first year that an all-black school and an all-white school were integrated together and they had to play football together. These young men that couldn't stand each other had to play together. And so at training camp, their coach, Coach Boone, calls these young men to begin their season and he calls them to the standard of perfection. And we watch this team grow together and unify together and and build as a team together and trust one another and and work together as a team. And during the final championship game, they go into the locker room at halftime and they're getting their their butts kicked. And Coach Boone is kind of gentle with them. And he says, you know what? You're doing all that you can. He says, win or lose, we're going to walk out of here tonight with our heads held high. He says, you're doing your best and that's all that anybody can ask. If you haven't seen this movie, go go watch it. Because at that point, one of the captains by the name of Julius, he remembers the standard of perfection that the coach had set for them at training camp. And he speaks up, and this is what he says. He says, with all due respect, you demanded more of us. You demanded perfection. And Julius says, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, because I'm not. 
and I never will be. None of us are. But we have won every single game we have played till now, so this team is perfect. We stepped out onto the field that way tonight, and if it's all the same to you, Coach Boone, that's how we want to leave it. You hear what Julius is saying there? Friends, you or I, we could live a thousand years and you will never be perfect as a Christian. But the church, the church can grow into maturity. The the church can reach full maturity because that's what the scripture says. And no Christian will ever be fully mature, will ever fully reflect the image of Christ. But the corporate body of Christ, we will one day reach full maturity and measure up to the full standard. Now we're not there yet. Because you can look at history, you can look at America, you can look at living hope in the last 15 years of our history. We have made mistakes and we have hurt people. We have not done things the right way. And church can be a hard place. And many of you have been hurt by the church. Many of you know friends and family that no longer want anything to do with the church because the hurt has been so deep. But Jesus is prioritizing his local church and he is purifying his local church to grow into maturity. And the vision is that the church collectively would one day reach full stature and represent Jesus. And so every individual Christian needs the church and every church needs individual Christians. Friends, if you're here this morning, that means you. If you've given your life to Christ, that means you are an essential part of the local church. And I've talked to so many people that get discouraged about involvement in the local church. And, and one of the things that discourages them is they say, I just don't get anything out of it. And I went to life group three or four weeks, but I didn't get anything out of it. And the sermon seemed irrelevant for a month. And I figured, what is, what's the point? And you come and you may not like a certain song that's played or the message doesn't speak to you. Or God forbid somebody give you a cold shoulder after church or somebody's rude to you or offends you or overlooks you. And what happens? People lose their motivation to come and to connect and to invest and to commit to the local church. But listen for a minute. What if the main reason you were here? What if the main reason you committed to the local church? What if the main reason you attended and were involved? What if the main reason you served? What if the main reason you joined the local church was not for you? What if your involvement in the church was for other people? What if you were a part of the church, not for yourself, but to fulfill your role as a member of the body of Christ, to be the hand, to be the knee, to be the foot that others need? Because I assure you, if you are following Christ, and if you are born again, if you have given yourself to Jesus, I assure you, we need you in the church, whether it be this church or whether it be another home church that the Lord is calling you to. And you may go through a season might be a long season, might be months and months where you feel like your needs are not being met by the church. And I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying you should celebrate that. I'm not saying that that's God's desire for you. But here's what I am saying. What if there's a teen here today that's struggling to hold on? Thinking, you know what? It's, it's just not worth it. And what if you are here today to say hello to that teen, to give them a hug, and to remind them that they are loved and they are valued? What if there's a man in our community that's, that's been thinking about leaving his wife, hasn't told a single soul? What if you show up to your accountability group at 6 a.m. this morning before work, and what if you're not there for you? What if you're there for him, to speak hope and to life into him? Maybe there's a woman in your life group that is so overcome with anxiety 
that she's not even sure she can make it another day? And what if you share with her how God has worked in your life to overcome your anxiety and she finds hope? And I razzed on the nursery earlier. But man, I love our nursery workers. Someone may need you to hold their baby. Someone may need you to teach their preschool class so that they can sit in here in in, in 45 minutes of quiet and hear the Word of God and be fed and be nurtured to go back up and to be a mom that invests in her young children. Guys, listen, if we are truly the body of Christ, that means that the members need to be present. We need to function together. We need to invest in one another and serve one another. Whether or not you feel like your needs are met, whether or not you are getting anything out of it, can we have a bigger picture, a bigger vision for what God is doing in the church that together we could grow into maturity? Because only as the collective body of Christ, only when each individual part and every finger and every blood vessel and every organ is functioning together, only then can we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can the Spirit of God give us a vision for that this morning? Because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to earth and He died. Yes, for individual believers, but but for the collective body of Christ. And He rose again and He is returning one day to a mature body so that we each could receive new life, each be forgiven, each adopted, but adopted into a family of God, into a bride of Christ, into the body of Christ. And so we are now members of one another growing together into the image of Jesus, building one another up so that we could glorify our head, so that we could glorify Jesus and reflect Him. Because it's not ultimately about you. It's not ultimately about me. It's about us representing Jesus, being the body of Christ to a world that is hurting, a world that is dying, a world that needs hope, that needs forgiveness, that needs to be a part of something bigger, that needs to know their Savior. We can be the body of Christ for a hurting, watching world. Friends, as the worship team comes, let's pray together. Let's pray together that we we could live this out. That we could serve one another and forgive one another when we hurt and invest in one another and build one another up to be the body of Christ. Because none of us can ever be a fully mature Christian, but as a church, the scripture says we can grow and we can get there. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your grace and for your love. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for buying into an individualistic picture of our salvation? And would you broaden our perspective to give us a love and a passion for Jesus and a love and a passion for his church that we could sacrifice for one another just as Jesus has sacrificed for us? That we could give grace and mercy and forgive just as you have done for us? That we could lay down our lives for one another just as you have laid down your life for us. That we could grow and mature together into the image of Christ to minister to one another that are hurting. And God, I pray even now as we sing that your Holy Spirit would give us an attentiveness to the people around us. That we wouldn't walk out of here smiling and making small talk. That we might find someone that we know may be hurting. That we know might need encouragement and build them up that we could pray for one another and invest in one another. And so we stand together in unity and we worship as a household of faith. We worship the God who who was, who is, who always will be. And we pray that you would stir joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Stir joy, stir intentionality, fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
We worship you, our head, our Savior, our Lord. Come lead us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.